Amen. Welcome, Harvest Point Church. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to look around and see the family of faith and the people of God. Will you look at your neighbor and say, you're looking so fine today? Man. Hallelujah. <laughs> Trying to help some of these young men get out of the doghouse. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, I just can't wait for Sundays to roll around and times of fellowship and purpose in the Lord where we can come together and see one another. How many know there's nothing like being with each other? Nothing like that. Nothing, nothing, nothing even comes close to fellowship and all the things that we're doing. And although we have a lot of technology today and mediums by which we can access the Word of God and the things of the Lord, there's nothing like coming together. Nothing like seeing each other. Amen. So we just welcome each other. I know we got lots of people watching by stream today, and so we welcome the people that are watching by stream, and we know God's got a word for us today. Y'all know that last week, we had an awesome day last week talking about uh, the wonderful things of the Lord as we were finishing up our series entitled, What's Up? And so I told you that last Sunday, we began a new series that we're going to be starting through the month, uh, actually ending today, and then uh, or beginning today rather, and ending uh, at the end of September in a new series entitled The Main Event. Amen. We're going to be looking at times where God of himself intervened into mankind, where God uh, came out of his throne, out of his heavens, and performed and acted upon mankind. And we're going to be talking about that today in what I call the series called The Main Events. So we're going to be looking at the God of the Old Testament. I'm going to show you that God has always been the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm going to show you how powerful your father is. Amen. So let's do this today as we begin our new series, the main event. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we read the word of the Lord. In your Bible, we're going to go to the first chapter of the first book of the Old Testament. And that book we call Genesis. And I want to read from chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. I want to read verses 26 and 27. You're very familiar with this passage of scripture. Anybody that's been in the church uh, for any duration of time or any length of time, uh, sooner or later, you're going to hear these verses. If this is your first time, it's probably you got saved last week. Amen. But here we are in, in Genesis chapter 1, beginning here, verse 26 and 27. I want to read these to you. Of course, you are familiar with creation story and the beautifulness of the hand of God or the hand of Christ as he uh, made all of these things possible and put all these things into motion. Here is a wonderful event in the kingdom of God. Where God intervened upon mankind. And that's, that's the gist of, of the series as we get into uh, this series entitled The Main Event. Genesis chapter 1. Begin reading here at verse 26. I am reading from the King James Version of my Bible. And it begins like this. And God said, let us make man in our image. Wow. God said, let us make man in in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth look at your neighbor and say that means everything <laughs> that means everything verse 27 so God created man, catch this, in his own image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, 
male and female created he them. Isn't that awesome? We are created in the image of God. Are y'all ready? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for this time we have together as a family of faith. As we purpose to come together in accordance to your word. Father, today I know the things that you're going to say to the people of God is your heart, is your mind, is your purpose amongst them. And Holy Spirit, we know we can't obtain to anything unless we find the heart of God, his purpose in us. Holy Spirit, move sovereignly, move perfectly. Establish your heart in this place. Uh, let, let the heart of God be so known and so, so focused upon that when we leave today, we'll be able to walk out His will wherever God may be sending us. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need your help now. Uh, we need it in every heart and every mind as we prepare ourselves for the entry of this word. We pray your help and strength as we purpose to do God's will. We pray help and strength in every way, shape, and form as we always do here at Harvest Point Church that we may be a church of hundredfold fruit, hundredfold return. And we pray that here in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, will you do me a favor? You need to go find five people, and I want you to just give them a hug and tell them. I want you to tell them like this. Say, you look just like God. Just go find somebody. Say, you look just like God. Go find somebody. Go find somebody and say, you look just like God. You look just like God. You look just like him. Look at somebody and say, my God, you look like God himself. Praise the Lord. This is the main event. Amen. We're getting into some wonderful expressions of the Lord and the purpose of God. Amen. If you're watching by stream today, you're made in the image of the Lord. Amen. You look like God. Amen. You look like God. Now, don't get it twisted, brother and sister. I didn't say you were God. <laughs> I said you look like God. God is all some. Just, just as a point of reference, if you don't mind, oh, open your Bible to St. John chapter 4. Just want to make sure you get your finger on it. I, I, I need to express something here before the family of faith. As the Spirit of God has sent me to recapture the purpose of God for Harvest Point Church, its family. I think it is imperative for you, of value to you, to just get your Bible ribbon, your finger, a bookmarker. Maybe you have a digital Bible. Make sure you get over to St. John chapter 4. I'm going to give a little bit of an exposition out of this particular chapter because entailed within this chapter is... The expression of the kingdom of God. And I just feel the necessity uh, to preach what Jesus preached. Because Jesus was a preacher of the kingdom of God. Uh, many of you are familiar with St. John 4. Because in St. John 4, uh, this is the time where Jesus met the woman of Samaria at the well of Jacob. 
It is a profound story that speaks of the humanity of Christ in so much that as Jesus sojourned and as he traveled, he became weary of his traveling and decided to move through Samaria on a purpose to meet the woman of Samaria. And he leaned up against uh, the, the well of Jacob, thirsty and weary of his travels, and saw a woman there, the woman who he came to meet, to ask her for, catch this, a drink of water. It is amazing that out of this conversation, uh, Jesus is going to express the kingdom of God through a cup of water. Uh, the background of the story is interesting because uh, the woman that Jesus goes to meet is a woman of bad reputation. Uh, she, she's a woman who in the privacy of her life uh, has had some problems. In fact, the Bible tells me, Jesus reveals through the word of knowledge that she had been married five times. Somebody say five times. Uh, people, get, uh, people get divorced once and you already know you've got problems. This woman has been divorced five times. The Bible doesn't give me any intimation as to whether or not she had children. And if she did have sons, those sons were probably living with their father. And so here's the woman, and she has some real serious problems in her personal life. In fact, we might even say of this woman, I don't know if there are other women in Samaria who had been married as often as she has. And I know that we're in a culture today now that, that people can get married and remarried and married and remarried. Nobody thinks nothing about it. But this is a culture when... Uh, this sort of thing was taboo. And this woman is, is at the well. Some theologians suppose that she was at the well at noonday looking for a man. Because most virtuous women had already went to the well to get everything they need from that well, to get that water to go back and do whatever they needed to do at home. Uh, so they perceive, some theologians say, that she was flirting with Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, that's wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't be flirting with Jesus. But there she was. Jesus went to Samaria, through Samaria, on his way to Jerusalem to meet this woman. This is providential. This is circumspect of God. He's going to meet her there. The Bible says that he asked the woman for a cup of water. Now, now, now watch how this conversation Begins to move, and I'll paraphrase some of the verses here so you can see the context of it. Jesus says, he asked her for a drink. The woman is somewhat perplexed because she knows that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so she's a little surprised that a, a, a Jew, a, a rabbi, would ask of her a drink. And then Jesus says back to her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that asketh of thee, give me to drink, that would have asked of him and he would have given thee, catch this, living water. Because if anybody needs living water, it's this woman. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Brother and sister today, you, you, you need a drink of living water. Do you know that? We, we need a, a real gulp, a real swig, a real drink of living water. Jesus said, listen, if you knew who was asking you, you would have asked him for living water. Of course, this woman, thinking in the natural, as most people do, she says, well, how is it that you plan on getting this living water? You don't have nothing to draw from the well with. This well is deep. 
And are you saying in this living water that you're greater than the one to whom gave us Jacob, who gave us this well, whose children, whose livestock, whose cattle drank from this well? And Jesus says, listen, let me paraphrase. Anybody that drinks here gets thirsty again. But the water that I'm going to give to him, he'll never be thirsty. And in fact, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Give your neighbor a high five and say, baby, you need rivers of living water in your life. Rivers of living water. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Then she says to the Lord, well, listen, give me some of this living water so that I don't have to come here every day to draw water to drink. And then Jesus says this, go call your husband. Come back. I'll give you some living water. So now we're there in the conversation for what we're there for. Watch what the woman says. Well, I have no husband. And she said, you've spoken well. You've been married five times. And the one you're with now isn't even your husband. In other words, you're shacking up. Brother and sister, I want you to catch what I'm about to tell you because this is the kingdom of God. Listen to this. And I want you to hear this. Because this woman is giving to you the answer of your life. And the Bible uses this woman who is broken, who has all sorts of manners of issues. And I don't know what her problems are. I don't know what's going on in her life. But if you've been married five times, you've got problems. I I want you to hear what God delivers to her because he delivers to her the kingdom of God. I want you to hear this. She says this. After she received a word of knowledge, not a prophetic word, but a word of knowledge, she says this back to the Lord. I perceive that thou art a prophet. Tell me, where do I go to worship? Did you hear that? She wants to know, where do I go to worship God? We, we take it for granted because the Bible says, Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we take it for granted that the Spirit of God moves in us and that the Bible says that wherever I am, God is. We could literally say that the place where we are standing is holy ground. Uh, this woman didn't live in that time. She didn't know what it was to walk with God or to be with God. She just knew there was a temple. And so she said, the Samaritans say that we need to go to Mount Gerizim. And some of y'all know Mount Gerizim. This is where God said he was going to pronounce the blessing on Israel when they entered into Canaan. We know Mount Gerizim from Abraham. He built an altar. Jacob built an altar there. I mean, it has history with God. And then she says, but you Jews say we got to go to Jerusalem. So what gives? Where do we go to worship? Where do we go? Do you know there's a lot of people right now that are living on your street. They don't know where to go to worship. You know, they're thinking the church, but we know the truth about church. And we know the truth about the kingdom, that the kingdom is in us. That we are the church. Can you, can you touch us out and say, I am the church. That we are the body of Christ. We're a mobile tabernacle. She didn't understand that. She thinks that church is a static place. It's it's a building. It's a temple. It's a mountain. And Jesus says this. 
woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour is coming, listen, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father, listen, in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And this is what he says, watch Jesus give you the image of God. Because I've come to talk to you about the image. He says, for God, listen, is a spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him, watch this, must worship him, catch it, in spirit and in truth. So I'm going to let you hold on to that spirit just for a while because I'm going to talk about truth for a minute. Because I'm going to talk to you about something about worship. I've been in church a long time. And I have seen a demonic transition in the church. And I know it's not of God because I went through it. There used to be an, a time in our culture where people referred to church service, listen, as a worship service. Our culture now, when we, they hear worship, they think music. You see, the devil doesn't pull one over your eyes. They say they pull the wool over your eyes, right? It used to be that a worship service was a place where a person could go to hear the word of the Lord that they might be counseled under the hand of God, the, the will of God, the purpose of God, the heart of God, so that they could leave that house of worship to go out and walk out what God wanted them to do. Because at the end of the day, worship is always what it's always been. Worship is obedience. We learned that from Father Abraham, who, Father Abraham, when the Lord said, take thy son, thy only son, and take him to the mount that I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there. And the Bible says early in the morning, uh, Abraham claved the wood for the burnt offering. He saddled his ass, took his manservant and his son Isaac over to that mount that God would show him to sacrifice him there. And the Bible says that when they got to that mount, which we know is Mount Moriah, that the Bible says that God, God revealed to him the mountain that he would sacrifice his son, he said to his men, servants, y'all stay here, listen, while I and the lad go yonder to worship. We come to church because we want to hear the heart of God. I want to know what God wants me to do. Listen, do you realize how few servants, how few laborers are in the field right now because nobody knows what God wants to do. And that's all in part because we're not pressing into his heart and into his mind and his will. And sometimes when we come to church, we don't hear the heart of God. We don't hear the will of God. So when we leave here, we've got nothing to do. Listen, you need to know your life is a life of assignment. It's a life of purpose. I'm going to talk about that because there's, there's the spirit. you got to worship in spirit and in truth. Now watch this. So, so as, as the church transitioned out of the act of worship, obedience, it moved into the act of worship, which is singing, worshiping, song. I, I was in a church where all we sang were hymns. Anybody grew up in a church where all you sang was hymns? I was a worship leader at my church. And we were beginning to transition into more contemporary music. 
And many of the older congregants of the church were signing petitions, were leaving the church because they didn't want to sing contemporary music. You know why? Because they say, we don't relate to that music. And I'll be quite honest with you, some of the songs they sing today I don't relate to. So I want you to see we left the, the field of the act of obedience, and now we're dealing with God relationally. And there's a danger in that. Because when we deal with God relationally, now we're dealing out of our emotion with God rather than out of our obedience to the Lord. There's a danger. I'm not, I'm not saying don't worship. I want you to worship, and I want you to sing, and I want you to engage the words, and I want you to engage the singing, and I want you to celebrate the Lord. But let me show you what's happening. So over the years, when, you know, when that happened, we, you know, I went through that transition where I was leading worship, and then we were doing a little bit of hymn, a little bit of song, and then eventually got to where we weren't singing any hymns at all. And listen, when we come to church, there's no hymn book in front of you. And there are a lot of people who related to God through the hymns. So when they sing the hymns, it reminds them of when they got saved or how they got saved or when God moved or how God acted. And they could read through the words and the choruses and the song and relate to God. Do, do you know that the songs that we're singing today, somebody had an experience. And then they wrote those words down and then we sing it. But I don't know if you know what they know. And I don't know if you know, feel what they feel. And I don't know if you've experienced what they experienced. So what happens when we have a worship service and you come in and you're singing about stuff you don't know nothing about? What if we're singing about miracles? And I know one of the songs, they were singing about miracles. I believe. And we were talking about miracles. What happens if you've never performed a miracle in the name of Jesus? Uh, let me digress. So I know only a few of us, but not all of us, but a few of us have listened to secular music, right? Just, just one or two. Nobody wants to admit it. But just Brother Billy and Pastor Josh. Just genius. Elder, elder, everybody, all the hands are going up now. Let me check this out. Let me show you how music is relational. Worship can be relational. It's like this. So there are songs that, that can be played, and if I hear it, it reminds me of things. You know, I grew up in the 70s. I grew up in the 80s. When, when I hear a song, sometimes a song reminds me of when I was in high school. Or, or, or maybe my little town that I grew up, it's not little no more, but when I grew up in Greeley, Colorado, and songs were played, and I, and I think of the mounds, and I think of things, and, and it reminds me of all this stuff, and, and I can actually sing the song because it means something. It's relational. Uh, we, we, how many have ever heard a love song? If you've ever been in love, you can sing a love song, right? I don't know what love song, what, what, what's your jam. You know, every, every marriage probably has their love jam. Anybody got a love jam? Okay, I don't know why y'all acting like y'all don't know what's going on anyway. We just keep going. That, 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 we sing and it's relational. And, and then sometimes we can hear the distresses and the pain of things that people have gone through. And when they sing it, it reminds you of your pain. It reminds you of where you've been and, and, and the sorrows in your life. What happens if we're coming in today to worship and we don't know what we're singing about? And the apathy that we're seeing in the church is that we're singing songs that are full of the glory of God. We just haven't experienced it. 
And it's like sometimes when I see people, young people are singing songs, they got great pitch and great tone. You see them all the time. They're on American Idol or some, some, some television show, and, and they're singing. They have such great you know, tone, and, and they're, but the song that they're singing, I know, and they know that they don't know what they're singing about. And so although it sounds well, we know it's not coming from the soul. How many of you know there's something called soul music? But you know what soul music is? This is where people, you could sense that they're singing out of an experience, out of a knowledge, out of an ability. They're singing out of a truth. When you came in today, did you sing out of a truth? Uh, church, church family, this is where the church is. It might be that when we come to worship, we're not singing worship or expressing worship out of any kind of truth. And all of this stems from the lack of obedience with God, the form of the Spirit. Because you're going to need both to worship God. Listen, do you know that God is a Spirit? The Bible says you're made in the image of God. But hold on, God's a Spirit. And listen, I understand practically and theologically that we're made in the likeness of God. I get that. Listen, God, how many know that when Jesus showed up, he had ten fingers? Somebody say hello for ten fingers. I like fingers. How many like fingers? I like fingers. I like to be able to drink coffee and you put your pinky out and get sophisticated with, you know. You know. I like all that, right? I, I don't poke my ear with this finger. I do it with this finger. It's more, you know, more appropriate, you know. I, I like that I have grip. Somebody say hallelujah. I, I like my feet. I've got ten toes. Come on, somebody. How many know you need those toes to run and to have balance? Lose a toe and you're going to find out what that toe means. I've had people argue with me about the aesthetic of a man. Well, why did God make eyebrows? Well, he made eyebrows so you could look surprised. <laughs> you ever seen somebody without eyebrows? You don't know what the... Are they angry? Are they mad? What, 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 how do you feel, brother? I mean, how do you go like this if you're looking at something? You know, how, how do I know if you're, you're not angry if your eyebrows aren't squinched together? Look at your neighbor and say, I thank God he put eyebrows on you. Otherwise, I want to know, what, what, what are you doing? We say, hallelujah, hair on your head. Brothers and sisters, listen, I understand the similar to the likeness God, God made you. He gave you a body. He formed and fashioned you out of dust and made you to look just like Christ. I get that. Listen, I understand the theological value in that. But I also know that man became a soul too. How, how many are thankful today that you have, a, you have the capacity to have a desire, to have a passion? How many are thankful for that? That we're not just robots moving around, that we can actually have a connection to something passionately. That, that, that we can have desires. But above all, catch this. The Bible says that with all of creation, God only did this once. He breathed his ruach, his spirit, into man. And when he breathed ruach, his life, his spirit, then man became whole. Because you're going to need spirit. You're going to need spirit to worship the Lord. Show you how profound this is. Let me show you how profound. How, 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 many, how many know that Jesus doesn't look like what he looked like here on earth now that he's in heaven? He's glorified. How many know that Jesus is glorified in heaven? 
John says, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard from behind me a great voice. Like a trumpet. And the voice said to me, behold, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. He says, whatsoever thou seest, write it down in a book and send it to the seven churches of Asia. And we know he did that. Revelation 2 and 3. And he says, and as I turned to see the voice which spake behind me, as I turned, behold, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks, I saw one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Listen to the description, the image. He says, and his hair was, his, his head and his hair were white like wool. He says, as white as snow. I say Jesus changed. That's a distinction. That don't look like the one we saw in the manger. He says his eyes. They were like a flame of fire. And his feet like fine brass as if it burned in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. That doesn't sound like the Jesus in the manger. Nor Jesus on the cross. And he said in his right hand was seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Catch this. Listen. He says, then Jesus touched me with his right hand and said, listen, catch this. He says, fear not, for I am the first and the last. Why would Jesus comfort John in that salutation? Why would the knowledge of knowing that Jesus is the first and the last be of any consolation to John, who has just saw the image of Christ, to which under the image of Christ he fell as dead? First of all, how many know that when you read the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation is a blessing. A, a double blessing if you read it. Well, why is the book of Revelation a double blessing? It's because you're getting a prophetic word. Why does Paul admonish the church? Listen, when you pursue gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, pursue the gift of prophecy. Love being the greatest and the next one, find prophecy. Why? Because if we get a prophetic word, we get a glimpse of what's coming. Now, let me digress here for a moment. How many have ever said this? If I knew then what I know now, things would have been different for me. How many, how many have ever said that statement before? So, man, if, if I knew back then what I know right now, my whole life would have been different. And when we say the statement, we always peer in to the past. The salutation of Jesus to, to John is to look forward. If I could get a glimpse of what's going to happen next week, then where I am right now, I would be in a blessed place. If, if I knew what God was going to do a year from now, I would have purpose and focus in my life right now. 
The salutation is, listen, you're getting a revelation of what God's about to do so that you can position yourself to satisfy the things of God. Fear not, John, because you got a glimpse of tomorrow. Just think how radically different your life would have been had you had the knowledge of tomorrow, not yesterday. There's value in the past because we can learn from the past. But what if I can turn you around in the kingdom of God and let you look at what's coming? Then right now your life would be full of purpose and understanding and you could walk circumspectly. You would have purpose for your life. And hear this. For as long as I can remember, I have quoted Isaiah 46.9 in my prayer closet. There's 46.9 in verse 10. In fact, why don't, in fact, why don't you open your Bible there? You can get this because I want this to just kind of seep into your spirit. Because I'm going to talk about spirit now. I, I, Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 begins like this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is none else. <laughs> For I am God, listen, and there is none like me. I've been, I've been quoting that verse in my prayer closet since I can remember. Because there is nobody like God. Notice how God of himself gives distinction to himself. This is what he says. He says, for there is none like me, listen, declaring the end from the beginning. Notice what he just said. He said, I declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things not yet done. You see, my counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So in other words, God says of himself, and this is why Jesus told, I'm the first and the last. Take consolation in this, brother and sister. I want you to hear it. Everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11. For God knows the thoughts he thinks towards you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. Listen, to give you what? Unexpected. Because God always declares the end from the beginning. So in other words, God completes a task, then he starts it. God creates a purpose, then he gives you life. Uh, David said, you saw me when I was curiously what? This is Psalms 139. You saw me when I was curiously what? In the inward parts of my mother's womb. And you knew me. Even though I was not formed and I didn't have no fashion to myself. You knew me. And in fact, he said, you wrote a book about me. But the book was already written and completed. I'm just here to walk out the end. Oh, I wish I had somebody right there on that one. And listen, God's already completed it. He's purposing to show you. Listen, I want you to look forward. I've already created the end because I gave you purpose in the finishing of the thing. Every child of God was created for purpose. Do, do you know what's odd in the church is that existentialism is here. And I don't know why it's here. It shouldn't be here. Do you know that there's a lot of you that you find purpose in your job? You, you find purpose in your motherhood and in your fatherhood? And I'm not saying those things of themselves don't have some level of purpose and distinction, but that's not what you were made for. 
You, you weren't made to have, a, you know, a wife and two kids, a dog and a cat. You weren't just made to pay bills. And, you know, the whole world is trying to figure out, well, what's my purpose? Well, this is the job I do, and I, I do this job, and where do I find purpose in that? And we're finding that the world is finding that there is no purpose under the sun. And people are becoming discouraged. Because they don't understand purpose in God. Listen, you were made for a purpose. You're made for a purpose. Do, do you know that the Spirit, listen, do you know that the Spirit itself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? How many believe you're a child of God? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the Lord. I, I was made for purpose. I was made for God. God made me specifically. I got a specific thing to do for God. He made me for a purpose. And I spend all my prayer life, my prayer time pressing into his heart and his mind and his will because I want to accomplish his purpose. Do you know that the Bible says this? In fact, ro go, go, go there, Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 26. It starts like this. And the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. How I many know the Spirit helps you in your weaknesses? He helps you in your infirmities. For we know not what, how we ought to pray, or we know not to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit make an intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of Christ, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to what? The will of God. Because it's by spirit. It's by spirit. You were made supernaturally. You were made for divine purpose. What's happened in the church is if we would get back to our purpose, then when we came here to worship, we would worship out of a truth because we would be singing about the things that are actually happening in our lives. And when you would read the word, the word would be only an image of what you experience in the Lord. That's why people are very lackadaisical about the word. What they read, they're not experiencing. And it seems nothing more than a fairy tale, a fable, a wise tale. But the person that's walking in spirit and in the purpose of God, they read this word for instruction. They're reading it because it, it mimics their life and they're gaining meat from it and they're gaining strength from it. Because this is their life. They're experiencing the spiritual transformation of their life through the purpose of God in them. Brother and sister, I'm here to tell you, you're just not meant to come to church and go home. You're a son of God, a daughter of God in the kingdom of God doing the business of God. And when we get back to our mandate, see the mandate is to be obedient. The mandate of God is that we will be obedient to his purpose in us. And brother and sister, you have purpose. Give your neighbor a high five and say, baby, you've got purpose. You've got purpose, real purpose. You've got purpose. You've got purpose. Do, do, do you know that the first message that Jesus preached is not the Sermon on the Mount? 
It's the one recorded for posterity. We go back and read it. And if you're like me, I'm a student of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest exposition of the mind and will of God. Nothing is great. No sermon ever preached greater than the Sermon on the Mount. But it's not the first sermon. Some of y'all know that, it, that in St. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Led of the spirit to be tempted of the devil. We know that there was an altercation there. But Jesus won by the word of the Lord. The Bible says when he came out of the wilderness, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he began to preach. Well, what was Jesus preaching? The kingdom of God is here. I challenge you to go to any church, any place, anywhere. Look online. Try to find it. You will not find anybody preaching the preaching of Jesus. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's time to turn to God. Because there's purpose in your life. And the power of God is present. And God wants you to lay hold of that power. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again, that Jesus said this about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Because there's a kingdom here. And there are people out there that don't know where to worship. They don't know how to get to church. And you know, nowadays people say, well, where do I go to worship? What church is right? Well, should I go to that church? I heard bad things about that denomination. I heard bad things about that preacher and that church over there. Where do I go? The church is doing its work. If we would go, because we're sent. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that the church is now mobile? And it works out of the power of God that we can go somewhere and say, I am the church. You want to know where to worship? We're going to worship right here. What's your need? What's your problem? What's your situation? My God is able. My God is powerful. Don't worry about what church. Church is right here because I'm right here. I am the church. I am the kingdom of God. Listen, if we, if we leave this church and go back to our homes and turn on the television, we don't know how to serve God yet. If we walk out of here and we go back to our jobs and we hear people talking about all their problems, I'm going on my sixth marriage. Oh, somebody needs a cup of water. Somebody needs a cup of water. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out as a model for us. Go out and tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's within your grasp. What do you need from God? Do, do, do you understand that the image of God, the Imago Dei in Latin, is that we are the representation of Christ, the, of the Father, by authority. You're supposed to take dominion. This is a kingdom. Galatians 4.4, the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus came at a specific time. He came, listen, when Rome was in power. It's a very specific time in the history of men. Do, do you know that all of the chapters leading up to the kingdom of Rome, you can go through all of the pages of the Bible. For every kingdom you see, 
whether it be the Philistines or the Medes or the Babylonians or any other barbarian, do you know that the way that they established their kingdom, they would go into a country, they would invade that country, spoil all the country, take all its wealth, kill all the men, take the women and the children as slaves and go back home. And yeah, they may have been richer internally, but the kingdom never expanded. Then Rome showed up. You know what Rome would do? Rome would go in, take the territory, and keep going. And as they, le as they left, they would leave ambassadors, governors, senators in the place that they just occupied. Because they were expanding the kingdom. And it wasn't too long after that understanding that they were a kingdom looking to expand that eventually Rome took over the whole world. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. Pilate says, tell me the truth. Are you really the king of the Jews? How many know that in a kingdom there's a king? And what he says out of his mouth is the law. It's not a de democracy. It's not a republic. We don't get to vote on whether or not what Jesus said is right. How many know that a king is only a king because he's born one? How many know that a king is only a king because he owns everything? We have, listen, the king, listen, of kings. Well, how can he be the king of kings? If he isn't a king over a king, do you know that the Bible says that we're kings? He's the king of the king. This is his kingdom. I belong to him. I'm expanding the kingdom. I'm about the father's business. I'm taking authority for the kingdom of God. If you believe the kingdom of God is real. And baby, I believe that. Do you know that the Bible says to as many as believed... He gave to them power, listen, to become the sons of God. Do you understand that you're made in the image, and because you're made in the image, you are now a son of God, a daughter of God, that represents the kingdom of God, and God has given you the authority to expand his kingdom because God wants his kingdom expanded. Listen, I'm here to tell you. When they say, Lord, teach us to pray, how, how, how do we pray? Just pray like this. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We've got a mandate. We've got a mandate to take authority. This kingdom is expanded by its kings and queens. When we leave this house, we go out and expand the kingdom. It's what's called spirit. It's spirit. It's supernatural. Ask yourself a real question. Have you been serving God? Jesus, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sent for labors into the field. Jesus says, because the field is ripe. Well, what does he mean? People have needs. Somebody is in a place of sorrow. Uh, your, your neighbor is hurting. 
Your, your co-worker just told you the doctor gave him a bad report. The answer is not to invite him to church. The answer is to minister the kingdom. The answer is to say right here, right now, whatever your need is, I declare in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the enemy. I rebuke your illness. I declare God to be God over your situation. That's what we're called to do. And friend, if we're just sitting around waiting for the kingdom to expand itself, you don't understand the kingdom. You're not serving God yet. It's time we start taking dominion. Oh, I wish I had a witness. Wish I had a witness. I mean, if you really believe you belong in a kingdom. I, I, I believe in the kingdom of God. I, I, I believe that his word is true. I believe that his word will stand when everything else falls around it. The word of God will live forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will stand forever. It, I just, I, we just need somebody to get into the kingdom of God. To understand this is more than you just getting yours. People come to church and we're just trying to get ours and get mine. And what do I get from the church and how do I get it and how can it help me? And you want to just, you know, we're like other, we're just like the kings of the Old Testament where we're just trying to get ours. But we can never expand the kingdom. If you'd believe it, miracles would happen. Then when we came in to sing about the miracle, you'd be singing in truth. Be a reality in your life. One of the greatest expressions of that truth ever told, of the spirit ever told, of the kingdom ever told in the Bible, is in St. Matthew chapter 8 with the centurion. You see, the centurion believed in the power of Caesar. He believed it. He believed that Rome was the king, was the kingdom. That it had all superiority. That there was nothing greater than Rome. And he said he thought about it so much that he said within himself, when I tell somebody to go, he goes. And when I tell somebody to get over here, they get over here. Why? Because my word is full of the authority of Caesar. How many Christians we got today with faith like the centurion? That simply believes that God is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. We don't have to philosophize about it. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to wish about it. We don't have to know if God wants to do it. God wants to do it. He sent you to accomplish the task. And this is the duty of the kingdom of heaven, the duty of the people of God. That we'd go out and speak that word. You, you know the story. He had a servant grievously ill at home. And he went to the Lord and said, Lord, I have a servant at home that's grievously ill. And Jesus said, well, listen, I'll go with you. He said, you don't have to go. You don't have to go nowhere. What you talking about? Go. Just say the word. Just speak it. Just speak the word. I know how authority works. Just say it. Just speak the word. Brother and sister, you, you listen, let's not give lip service to what we're reading. Either this is God's words or it is not. Either this is the truth or it is a lie. But I believe what Jesus says. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is, neither is God a man that he should repent. That what God means what he says. 
God means what he says. He's just looking for somebody to worship him. Look, let me close down with this. Jesus said, listen. The hour's coming where you're not going to have to go to no mountain. You're not going to have to even go to Jerusalem. How many glad that we don't have a Mecca? I'm so glad. Have you ever seen how Muslims go to Mecca? They take a pilgrimage. They gather around them because they say that's where God is. How inconvenient. Do you understand the superiority of the believer, the son of God, the daughter of God? Do you know why you're a son of God, a daughter of God? Because the spirit of God lives in you. You see, God breathed in me. That if I'm here, God's here. That if I'm here, God's here. That if I'm here, God's here. That if I step over here, God's right here. I don't have to look around and say, God, where are you? And Lord, will you help me? He says, I'm right inside of you. Speak the word. I've given you all authority, all ability. I've put it in your hands. Go out and expand my kingdom. You don't have to wonder anymore if I want to. I sent my son to prove to you that I want to. How many have ever seen the life of Christ? Nobody was ever turned away. Nobody was ever denied. Nobody was ever said, wait till next week, or it was God's will that you be sick, or it was God's will that you go through this trouble. But rather, what did they receive? The benevolence of the Lord, because Jesus went out in the Word. Jesus is the Word made manifest to prove to you that God means what He says. Today, my friend, listen. Your problem, your problem, your issue, your strife, your whatever calamity is befuddling your life, it's only one rebuke away from leaving you you standing on the word of the Lord and you pointing your finger and saying in the name of Jesus I command you I adjure you in his name to be removed Jesus said if you speak my word you could tell mountains to uproot to move uh, uh, trees to uproot themselves and this is the life of the believer and friend God has sent me here to tell you that our church needs to experience true worship worship out of the spirit worship out of the truth is because we're working in spirit with God in harmony with God as children of God I don't know how many laborers are in here I don't know maybe the kingdom of God disinterests you but I'm here to tell you it's my one focus I want to manifest the goodness of God you know why because there's a lot of people that need to know just how good God is need to see that our God's able and that his ability is for their goodness, for them to experience something wonderful. I don't know about you, but I think it's time we go to work. I think it's time we get our mind on the things of God, the kingdom of God, and let's expand this kingdom and let's let people know that God is able. How many here believe that God is able? The Bible says he is exceedingly abundantly able to do more than what you've been asked, more than what you can even imagine. God is able. 